Welcome back to the Euctropolis podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. I've been fascinated by jazz on the ukulele since I was a kid. Since the first time I was told by somebody that the open strings of the ukulele, G-C-E-A, make a jazz chord called C6. That's when you discover that jazz is built in to the ukulele. And then I heard people like Lyle Ritz and Herb Oda, and my mind was blown that you could make these sounds with so few strings. But this episode is about how the lessons we learn in the world of jazz apply to everyone who plays the ukulele, whether that is making the B-flat chord a bit easier to play, or whether that is how to rewrite melodies so that they fit better in your vocal range, and at the same time, express your personal style. And if you really love this topic, go to euktropolis.com slash jazz for a free ukulele jazz lesson. In the meantime, let's get started with today's episode. Okay, so I had a couple of great questions from uh, Johannes, who is working on ukulele jazz. Uh, there have been a lot of questions in this course, and uh, Johannes has asked a lot of great uh, questions. And uh, Johannes, if you're listening, I will get to some of those ones that I haven't answered yet, I promise. Um, but uh, I, I want to highlight a couple of questions from Johannes because I think they apply to everyone, uh, whether you're working on jazz or not. Um, so the first one that Johannes is asking is, uh, is this specifically, I'm really having trouble playing the B-flat chord using my index finger only to bar the E and the A strings. He says, I can play it fairly easily if I bar straight across the first fret. Is that okay? You know, if I do it like this, first finger straight across on the first fret, and then the other two fingers, you know, on the other strings. It sounds the same whether I put that first finger all the way across or just part of the way across. And Johannes is saying, well, putting it all the way across is much easier for me. And uh, is that okay? And the answer, at least the short answer is, yes, that's completely okay. Whether you play the B flat chord like this or like this, as long as they both sound like a B flat chord, it doesn't really matter what your index finger is doing. So that is the very short answer. Yes, it's perfectly okay to put your first finger across the first fret to create a bar. If that is easier for you, absolutely go for it. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There's no shame in barring the first fret for the B flat chord. Period, full stop. Sort of. <laughs> I mean, no. That is true. That much is absolutely true. But there's a kind of a, you know, there's a kind of a sequel to that answer. And the sequel to that answer is, um, I guess I would put it in the form of another question, which is, why work so hard <laughs> to just play a major chord when you could be working less and making more of the harmony. Now, this is especially true in jazz. Um, 
But it's worth knowing this because the B flat chord is such a notorious chord for everyone, right? Um, what if you just didn't flatten out that first finger to cover the first and second strings? What if you just put the first finger on the first fret of the second string only and strum that chord? That Those are the um, fret numbers three, two, one zero starting from the ceiling going down toward the floor if you have your ukulele please play along because this is a beautiful chord three two one zero mm. i always think of this as the sandman chord that really highlights that A note in the B flat chord. That beautiful Sandman sound. I don't have to work nearly as hard to play that Sandman chord. And I get a lot of mileage out of that, don't I? It's, it's sort of instantly jazzy. Just because I'm not working quite so hard, right? So that is question number one. You know, like, why are we working so hard? Why are we bending over backwards? Why are we uh, bending knuckles to just play a simple major chord? You know, that one... It's funny because that chord sounds easy, but feels hard. And this Sandman chord sounds hard, but feels easy. Hmm. Now I think we'll find that that inverse relationship often crops up on the ukulele fretboard. Often it's this inverse relationship. Something sounds hard to do, it's often easier than you think. Something that sounds very easy is often deceptively simple. And there's no better or more clear example of that than the B-flat chord. Now, the other alternative for the B-flat chord, uh, and I want you to always keep this in mind, whether you're a player or a teacher or both, is that um, the, the note on the outer two strings on the B-flat chord. The note on the fourth string and the note on the first string are the same. They're B-flat on the fourth string and a B-flat on the first string. It's like a B-flat sandwich. The outer two strings are B-flats and the inner two strings have the, you know, cheese and pastrami of the rest of the chord. And you put it all together and you get that B-flat major uh, chord that we've been working on. But that does mean that we have a repeated B-flat note. And really, on an instrument that only has four strings, are we really going to repeat one note? Are we going to have a redundant note in that chord? Hmm. Especially in the context of jazz, I don't think so. So we're going to use one of those outer strings to add some new spice to the sound. So here's another way of doing it. Just lift the ring finger so that you are not playing anything on the fourth string. That's just an open G closest to your face as you're playing. And then the rest of the B-flat chord the way it normally would be. Now this gives us a beautiful B-flat 6 chord. B-flat 6 
and it's just a lovely jazzy sound that I use all the time when I'm playing jazz. The added benefit is that that little chord shape, those fingerings, come up uh, at least one or two other times with different names. So when you learn that one, you get kind of a, a two or a three for one deal. Uh, and you'll find that out later. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, you know? You keep unwrapping it, and then you unwrap it again, you get a different chord. You unwrap again, you get a different chord. Oh, I didn't know that was also G minor 7, which you'll find out later on. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So here are two reasons why I would answer this question from Johannes first as a simple, yes, it's perfectly okay to bar the first fret and to play the B-flat chord. But then the follow-up question for me is, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> are you sure you want to work that hard to get so little, I don't know, um, musical juice from the orange? What if we just, you know, um, what if we just relax a little bit? And what if we found that by, by uh, you know, being a little bit lazy, we actually get more for our effort? That's exactly what I would suggest to Johannes and what I would suggest to anyone who's struggling with the B-flat chord is, you know, what's your best case scenario? You just end up with a major chord. Maybe try something else, maybe a B-flat 6 by lifting the ring finger, or a B-flat major 7, that Sandman sound, by lifting the index finger and placing it only on the second string. Just a couple of thoughts about the B-flat chord. Thank you, Johannes. And I want to go to a second question from Johannes. Um, this is also a question from Ukulele Jazz. Um, and uh, the, the song that Johannes is working on in this question is um, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, I hate to see my the evening sun go down that one nice slow burning melody hate to see the evening sun go down a really wonderful melody to work with um to savor it's one of those slow burning flavorful melodies and at the end of the uh of the phrase it goes um let me see where it is i'm scrolling here or else he wouldn't have gone so far from me as this beautiful sort of um uh, final approach to the end of the phrase or else he wouldn't have gone so far from me and the the note on the word gone wouldn't have gone right there that's a low b flat speaking of b flat and that low B flat is the third finger on the third fret of the G string. 
gone, right there, gone. But as you can hear, because I have the high fourth string, my dog has fleas. Because I have that high fourth string, it doesn't let me get down to that note. I can't pluck this melody. Wouldn't have gone. I just can't get there. It's a note that is not on my instrument. Now, ukulele jazz leaves it up to you whether you want to pluck the melodies or sing the melodies or both or improvise your own melody or just strum the chords. This course is very um, open-ended. It has a number of different pathways that you can follow. But it sounds to me like Johannes really wants to pluck the melody. He wants to play... He wants to get in there and actually play the melody on the ukulele. So the question is, what do I do if I run into a note that is not on my instrument? Hmm. Um, well, that's a bit of a pickle, isn't it? Uh, it's not really practical to retune just for this one song or just for that one moment. I guess if I, if I really tried, I could retune for it. You know, that is not practical. Maybe for a little novelty act or something. But you got to work with the notes that you have um, in the tuning that you're in. Okay, so that's out. Maybe we could just make that one note jump up in octaves so that just that one note is um, in a different place where we can reach it. Or else she wouldn't have gone so far from me. Actually, that's not so bad. We can jump that low B flat up to a high B flat. So it's the same note name, but it's in a different register. Okay, that is actually not a bad option. That's um, practical, doable. Doesn't sound doesn't sound terrible. <laughs> like it sounds believable that that might be the melody. Actually, works out pretty nicely. so far from me. I could definitely buy that for a dollar. I, I I could be convinced there. So that's the short answer, I, I would say, is to take whatever note is out of range and uh, jump it up an octave. And you might get lucky, as we get in this case, where it actually kind of makes musical sense. It's not the same melody, but it just so happens to make some musical sense when we jump it up an octave. Sometimes you'll also find that jumping one note up an octave doesn't make musical sense. It, it sounds like it, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. So I think the, the longer answer, the, the sequel to that answer, is to invoke your poetic license. Um, especially in jazz, we're invited to put our own spin on the melody. And of course, this is a 
this is a, a, a lifelong journey to get to the point where you're comfortable and confident enough to make up your own version of the melody that you're playing. Now, this song, St. Louis Blues, was made famous by Bessie Smith. And um, Bessie Smith often did this. She didn't have the, the widest vocal range. She wasn't sort of like a Mariah Carey kind of a singer, like who could do all the octaves and everything. So, because she had a, a, a narrower singing range, she would often compress the melody into a smaller area, still sing the spirit of the melody and the lyrics and some of the ups and downs, but it would be compressed into a smaller uh, melodic zone. So instead of going, uh, I hate to see, you know, when you compress that, you might just go, I hate to see. Kind of gets the same message across, and in a way it's kind of stylish. Instead of jumping all over, I hate to see the evening sun go down, you might just compress that melody and go, I hate to see the evening sun go down. Okay, now I've brought it into a range that I'm more comfortable with, but I've done it in a way that is stylish, in a way that doesn't just say to people, oh yeah, well, I, I couldn't sing that part, so I changed it. It's, it's more like saying, um, I changed this on purpose. <laughs> you know, like, this is my artistic statement. I am changing this melody because this is my style. Oh, and by the way, it makes it easier to sing. But that's not the main reason that I'm changing it. So to get to that point where you're confident enough to pull that off um, can take a long time. It has as much to do with your skill as a player or as a singer as it does with your confidence as a musician. And one way that you can work on this, this sort of compression of the melody, um, is to go through and uh, try a single note version of the song, like we just started here. I hate to see the evening sun go down. What happens if you just sing the whole song on one note? Hate to see the evening sun go down. If you really want to get to know a song, if you really want to spend time with that song and get to know its harmonic and melodic contours intimately, then this is one exercise that I've found works really nicely. Try different one-note versions. In this case, we're in the key of F. The first chord is an F or an F7 to make it sound bluesier. So naturally, I'm sort of gravitating to that home note, that tonic note. But I could try any other note and see if I can sail through on that single note. Let's try this one. I hate to see. That's an A note. It's part of an F uh, chord. I'm going to see how far I get with that one note. Let's go. 
I hate to see the evening sun go down. Now that to my ear was pretty hard to take on that second chord, wasn't it? The, the evening sun go down. Mm, it's a little beyond my comfort zone in terms of the dissonance. So I'm probably just going to shift there a little bit. Um, but Notice that I'm only changing my note when I absolutely feel like I have to. If at all possible, I'm going to stay on one note through the entire piece. This doesn't have to be a public exercise, not something that you're putting on uh, on SoundCloud or YouTube or TikTok or anything. This is, this is just for you uh, to get to know a song more intimately. So I might go, I hate to see the evening sun go down. I just find another note that I think goes nicely with that uh, with that second chord, moving as minimally as possible, and then going back to my single note. Let's try a, a, a different note and see if we can make it through. How about this one? A C note. I'm getting these notes, by the way, from the first chord. I'm just picking or choosing a different note from that very first chord in the song and seeing how far I can get with each of the notes in that chord. So here's the next one. I hate to see the evening sun go down. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that on the second chord especially. Hate to see the evening sun go down. Oh, yeah. Now, I like that. I especially like that C note when it happened over the second chord of the song, which was B flat or B flat 7. There was something about that C note that I really like. I really like the way it blended with the B flat chord. Now, I'm not getting into music theory. I don't have to understand why I like it. I just start to notice that I do like certain notes over certain chords. And I start to look forward to that moment. Ooh, I, I love it when it goes, The evening sun go down. And what I'm heading toward here, by exploring one thread of the song at a time, just one thread at a time, what I'm, what I'm inching toward is a sense or a better sense of my own preferences, my own musical preferences. This is really important. I mean, your preferences are what give you your style. There are so many ways in music to play it right, right? <laughs> there's, there's not just one way to play it. You can play it a million different ways, whether that's a classical violin concerto, or whether it's uh, a lullaby, or whether it's a jazz ukulele arrangement. There are a million ways to play the thing, whether that's slight variations in tempo, little variations in rhythm, reharmonizations, or rewriting the melody completely. There are a million ways to play every single thing that you'll ever come across. So how do you choose how you're going to play it? Well, 
you can just guess. Um, that doesn't tend to work too well. You don't get a real authentic sense of like, oh yes, this person is speaking to me. This person is uh, making a statement. Um, you could also just go with whatever you can do. Um, that can work to an extent, but uh, it doesn't, you know, it often leaves out a bunch of stuff that you would do <laughs> if you knew about. So that's why we keep exploring. We're all continuously learning and exploring. But ultimately, when you start making decisions, when you have enough choices that you start making real decisions, then you start having a style that's your own. And um, in order to develop that style, you need to have some preferences, some things that you like more than others. Right? <laughs> like on that F7 chord, I hate to see. I just know from, from years of doing this that I really like the sound of a G note when I'm playing an F7 chord. I just do. I hate to see the evening sun go down. I just like that. <laughs> and I probably just stumbled on it one day. I probably sang the wrong note, actually. And then thought, ooh, actually, let me do that again. I like that. Uh, I was supposed to sing an F, but I sang a G by accident. Or I plucked a G by accident, and well, it turns out I really like that. I hate to see the evening sun go down. I don't really get to that except by noodling and experimenting, listening to other you know, players and being inspired, and taking note of what my favorite things are. These are a few of my favorite things, you know, a G note over an F7 chord. This is one of my favorite things. I especially like it when that G note continues over the B flat 7 chord. The evening sun, there's something about that sound that I really like goes down. I don't have to explain it or apologize for it. It's just what I like, right? And, well, later I could figure out that the G note over the F7 makes it an F9 chord and the G note over the next chord makes it a B flat 13 chord, but it's not knowing that that makes it appealing. It's the sound that makes it appealing. And so that is, uh, as you can tell, the much longer answer to Johannes's uh, relatively simple question, which is, what do I do if I don't have that note on my instrument, my, my answer is um, use your superpower, which is style. Use that superpower and your poetic license to create something that is uniquely you. Um, whether that note is out of range on your ukulele or whether it's out of range for your voice, rewrite it. Um, especially in jazz, you are invited to do exactly that. It's funny, you know, when you um, imagine stopping somebody in the street and, and asking them, you know, what are your musical preferences? Just the average person in the street. You're probably going to get answers like, oh, well, you know, I like, 
I like ACDC, and I like, um, you know, Stevie Wonder, but I don't like rap or heavy metal. You know, like, that is the kind of answer that you would get from somebody. Um, but if you stop a musician in the street, especially a jazz musician, and you ask them, what are your musical preferences? You're not going to get that same sort of consumer level answer of like, oh, well, I like this genre or this genre, but I don't like that genre. You're going to get a, 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 a deeper answer than that. You're going to get uh, an answer like, well, you know, over an F7 chord, I like to play a G. Now, that's a very different level of musical preference. And I think all of us, as we continue with our musical journey, with our ukulele journey, we move more from that consumer level of preference. I like Stevie Wonder, but I don't like rap, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> we move more from that level down to the level of the jazz musician who says, when I play an F7 chord, I like to sing a G note. And that's part of the fun of it. We are moving in that direction, developing our preferences and discovering new subtleties and nuances in, uh, in the music, but also in ourselves. What brings us joy and what represents us to other people. It's a little bit like what you wear, you know, like <laughs> this. I am not a one to give fashion advice by any means, although I do like this T-shirt, this uh, Americana ukulele T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like I shopped at thrift stores for most of my high school days. And even now I like to pop into a thrift store and like get a good deal on some like wacky piece of clothing. I'm not really a great uh, one to give fashion advice, but... I do remember as a kid not having any idea what I wanted to wear. Um, I just had no clue. And then slowly developing that sense of, you know, what was my style? What, what was I comfortable wearing? And what represented me? I think most of us have been through that journey with what we wear because it's so much more obvious and it's so much more common. Uh, as popular as the ukulele is, it's not as popular as clothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, there you go. That's the quote of the day. Ukulele. Still not as popular as clothing. But we go through a similar kind of evolution in our sense of style. At least we should. Uh, we should be working toward that as musicians. Um, because our style in music is every bit as, um, every bit as uh, expressive as our style in uh, clothing and fashion. So there you have it. Johannes, thank you very much for the, for the questions. I hope that helps and uh, keep on strumming. Thanks for tuning in to the Uketropolis podcast. I'll be back again next week for one more episode in season three before I take a break for the summer months here in Canada. In the meantime, you can always find me over at uketropolis.com. And if you want that free ukulele jazz lesson, go to uketropolis.com slash jazz. And here is a pro tip. You can also find an additional free ukulele jazz lesson by going to YouTube and searching ukulele jazz. You'll find another free lesson with me right there on YouTube.
And hopefully one of these days, you'll sign up for the full ukulele jazz course, which is available both in standard and baritone tuning. So enjoy, and until the next time, keep on strumming.